0: This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, July 22nd, kind of our calm before the storm podcast with less than two weeks before Notre Dame hits the field in Culver for the start of 2019 preseason practice. I'm Tim Priester with Pete Sampson today, two-man booth, and we want to start with uh, a story, Pete, that you wrote on The Athletic that um, a lot of people commented on. I, I commented on to you because <laughs> I thought it was a it wasn't anything that I had actually been aware of, and it's a really a great story where Nordam and Clemson getting together off the field just to share ideas of how each other runs the program. And when I read the story, it's like, you know what, that makes sense. Why wouldn't people do that? But on the surface, you can understand why. No one would expect Notre Dame and Clemson having participated against one another in a bowl game. Actually, getting together and sharing notes.
1: Yeah, especially with Clemson coming on the schedule next year too in 2020. But um, yeah, it was something that it dropped on my radar. Uh, I was having, I was interviewing Jack Swarbrick maybe a month ago, yeah. um, and he just casually mentioned that you know Clemson came up here and they shared our ideas. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, so then we talked about it a little bit. Uh, and then, uh, you yeah, know, I talked to a couple of Aaron Carney and Dave Peloquin in the recruiting office at Notre Dame and um, got did some research into Clemson through sort of their their operations side of things. And, um, yeah, it was just I, I thought that the it was it felt like a very enlightened approach to college football in 2019 that. You know, not everything is a trade secret. We don't have to, like, live in silos and pretend that nobody else knows anything. Because, I mean, there are so many... Even though Clemson and Notre Dame is not one of those instances, pretty much everybody knows somebody on everybody else's staff. Um, And I I thought the mutual respect angle was kind of interesting, that uh, Clemson and Notre Dame, not necessarily that they like each other, but they certainly have some respect for one Mm -hmm. another. Um, The fact that they... I think Clemson... Sort of sees fit, and the importance of finding that um, at a level, maybe not as high as Notre Dame, but like it's probably more than ninety percent of other schools. Um, So even though they're they're certainly not the same program, they have more similarities than I think people would would see on the surface.
0: It doesn't surprise me that Dabble Sweeney would be yeah. the type of
1: guy that would be open-minded enough to do something like this. And I th- that was kind of one of the things that was interesting talking to people around Clemson on background about it, that, um, so they hired this guy. Named, his, his name is Thad Turnipseed. Uh, and he's, he's Dabo's right-hand man, went to Alabama and Dabo hired him, I believe in 2013. And basically his job is make Clemson football better. And was, as they were building sort of their huge facility, he went out and visited about 30 different schools to see, okay, what are what are your best practices? What are you doing that works? What do you like in your facilities? And then take everything that they really liked and put it in one building. Since they've done that, there have been about thirty schools that have visited Clemson to see, okay, what how did how does this all come together? What does it look like? Um, and Dabo apparently his his approach is not only does he want to make Clemson football as good as he possibly can, he would like the game of college football to be as good as it possibly can be. And if if there's something Clemson is doing that is, you know, whether it's academics-related or probably more so like sports science recovery-related, they want players at Notre Dame to have that. They want players at Washington to have that. They want players at Iowa State to have it's good that. good for college football. Yeah, it's good for college football. And um, I think you sort of see there's there's a little bit more of a, I don't know, sort of spreading the good word of college football right. around the country. Right. Um and well, so I thought it was just yeah, it was just kinda of interesting good given give and take between the two schools.
0: At a time when there's talk about I think Pat Fitzgerald was addressing um, you know less fans coming to games, mm-hmm. um, staying home, watching it on TV, which, you know, now is a fairly magnificent presentation morning, right. noon, and night. Um so I so I get that part of it. Um One of the questions I know uh, one of our subscribers had was about the use of the private jet. You wrote wrote about that uh, for assistant coaches. And the question, I guess, to you is, is Notre Dame going to do that more with assistant coaches on the recruiting trail?
1: I know that uh, both Notre Dame's coordinators, Chip Long and Clark Lee, would would love it (laughs) if that happened. Um, And I think their perspective, I'm talking about Long and Lee, their perspective, it's less about, traveling in comfort and style and all that and like it's more about if if i can see double the number of kids if i can be that increase my efficiency by 100 percent that's something we should do uh to the point that like look if i have to fly coach on the way home after i'm done that's fine Uh, but give it to me on the front end so i can get my work done and then i can head back
0: i would think and it was a great question and i would think that should be a gimme for Notre Dame. Right. Buddy. Come
1: on. It's, I mean, it's one of those things and we've talked about it uh, on this podcast before, because there are definitely other elements around Notre Dame where you can be a leader in the sport in investment in money spent and in resources uh, invested without being less Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a water slide in your football facility is not one of those things. Um, an athlete only dorm is not one of those things, but the, the best possible sports science recovery space is one of those things. Or, um, you know, the new football facility I think is, is perfectly Notre Dame where it's, it's highly, highly functional without a whole, and it looks very, very nice as you drive by it. But, um, it doesn't have like the bells and whistles mm-hmm. the way that, you know, an LSU, a locker room. I don't know if you saw that this morning I did. where I put that out. Um, you know, it looks like a first class cabin in a seven forty seven. Um, you know, the plane travel, is, I think, is one of those things where, look, you can you can be more efficient, you have the money to do it, uh, and it's not something where you're, you're rubbing the rest of the university's face right, in the, right. the <clears throat> sort of largesse of,
0: of football investment. Right. Good stuff. For those that haven't seen it, check it out on The Athletic by Pete Sampson. I wanted to move on to some of the uh, – the uh, a couple of the interviews that, that I did here within the last week with Clark Lee and, and Chip Long. And, and I, I had a story – earlier, and I've just tried to kind of spread out this information leading into the start of camp, but Clark Clark Lee had made the comment uh, that the athleticism of the linebackers he's coaching is as talented, it's a group as talented as he's coached. Now, a lot of people misinterpreted that as saying, and he made the comparison to 2017 and said athletically, we're way ahead of where we were in 2017. A lot of people took that as another shot of Drew Tranquil not being a, a, a quality athlete, and that was not <laughs> the point. The point was Drew Tranquil is playing Rover, but he really was a buck. Um you know, Niles Morgan was a starting Mike linebacker, good solid Mike linebacker, but uh, you know, not a sideline to sideline guy. So, I mean the, the point is, and he's not saying that this group this group is going to be better than the 2017 group was. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying athletically, this is what they have <clears throat> guys like Jack Lamb, um, Ousu Koromoa included in that group, uh, of course, and and uh, Shane Simon, you know, Asmar Bilal's in there too. Even he, even Asmar Bilal is a more uh, athletic Mike. I don't know that I'd go so far as to say more athletic than than Coney, but I'm sure that if you if you timed them both in the 40. Yeah. Bala
1: would run a better 40. Yeah, I think more athletic, you can say that. <clears throat> yeah, I guess you um, can. More instinctual? No way. No, definitely um, not. <laughs> and I think that Clark Lee's commentary, um, you know, we we sort of view it and fans sort of view it as like, well, the starting lineup. And that's not what he's talking no. about necessarily. He's also talking about the twos and oh, the threes. absolutely. Because I think that if if you got these coaches alone, they would tell you when they showed up in 2017, when they looked at the twos and the threes, they were just like, what what is this this is like this is Notre Dame um so they they have not had a starting linebacker talent problems the last two years at all but I th- I do think that the coaching staff is much more optimistic about the talent behind the starters even if the starters I, I don't they're not going to be as good as last year I mean I don't, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be as close to as good as last year but the twos should be better uh, and i think that they they will be much more reliable in a way that they haven't they have not able to employ the linebackers
0: yeah. in that way before well the, the twos now have been in the program and or have played the position generally and we're speaking and we recruited to play for which is where Koromoa, that's a point that Clark Lee made you know we find this is the guy this is the first guy that we recruited specifically to play that position um he also spoke i also had a story on the defensive tackles there's a question in segment 2 that I'll save that for. But Chip Long, I, I recently also did a story with Chip Long talking about the utilization of the running backs in the passing game, and that was something we know they wanted to do last year, but you, they couldn't keep before Dexter Williams was eligible, and even he got better as a pass receiver. Um, you know, he couldn't keep Jafar Armstrong and Tony Jones Jr. healthy, and those two are potentially outstanding receivers as running backs. And it's it really, if you could keep those two guys healthy, and he doesn't like substituting within the same series because it slows things down for the defense. But if you can get those two guys on the field, you can do so much with them, and it really would open up an aspect of
1: their offense,
0: not an extension of the running game.
1: <laughs> no, but it's it's okay when he invokes your quarterback because yeah. the, he's completing those passes at a 90% clip. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I. I'm very bullish on Jafar Armstrong in this capacity as a receiver, like a, a real slash type player. Um, you know, and, and it's not like he's, like Chris Tyree is not somebody you're going to ever give the ball to probably 20, 25 no. times in a game. Um, Jafar Armstrong is built to actually take a pounding. He was banged up a lot last year, but I'm confident that he can sort of be a um, you know a little bit more CJ Pro Size-like in terms of a bigger, right. a bigger That's athlete. A good- probably tougher than pro size was um in terms of being able to like take initiate contact but i I mean I like I like the idea it's I think the backs are suited for it. Jafar Armstrong is more suited for it than Josh Adams or Dexter Williams ever was. Yeah. Um, and they have a quarterback who is more suited for it as well.
0: It's hard to believe, and this is mainly because of injury and then just competition, that Tony Jones only has 12 receptions in two years, whereas Jafar Armstrong, I think, had 14 catches for over 150 yards. That is surprising. He had, the, Yeah, I mean, I think it was just, you know, just uh, getting banged up and then not being able to beat out the guys that were ahead of him. But... Uh, Chip Long, very encouraged by Tony Jones Jr. during the offseason ever ever since the spring. So we'll see how that uh, develops. A couple more things in this segment, Pete. Um, Colin Gamble, I, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see him, the, the, uh, the uh, little nickel uh, that Notre Dame is now recruiting. He is little, but man, the kid is lightning fast out of his break. I know he's rated very low. 24-7 sports has him at 1,100 and something. But but he I mean he can play if you're recruiting him as a nickel, I you know that's your successor to to Sean Crawford. Somebody said, uh, "Well, I thought KJ Wallace was a successor." Well, you can have more than one. You ha- you yes you have to have. I mean we saw what happened to Crawford, and it's a li- they're all little guys, so they're a little bit more susceptible to getting banged up. But I don't know if you've had a chance to see him. I have but, not.
1: I've read some some of the reviews of him and sort of his take on the offer. And then, you know, I believe there was a story that claimed he ran in the four threes. And I'm like, all right, you're telling me a a guy who's ranked outside the top thousand prospects runs a four, three. Okay. Um, but it's, I mean, look, Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's defensive back recruiting is not in an awesome spot right now. Um, They, they need to take some chances on guys just to, to fill out this class. And, no pun intended. Maybe a bit of a gamble with uh, this kid it, from it, Texas. It,
0: it might be. And and does he run a 4.36? I don't believe that he does. I will say this I think his 10 yard time is upper echelon. And as a nickel back, that is exactly what you need. He closes out of the backpedal. He closes so well on the ball. Now, he's very small. And there's no doubt about that. He's listed at 5'10. There's no way. He's listed at
1: I think 170. You're saying he's more like a 58 160. I think he's
0: more in the 58 to 59 range and one sixty 160, one sixty five. 165 yeah, you know, but I mean isn't that what Crawford was? I...
1: Crawford was very tiny. There I mean coming out of high school, he was but he was also a top 100 player. True, you know, and I think watching I don't know, were you at the Irish Invasion camp when Crawford was there and he competed? I was not. No. Um I saw him then, I don't know if I saw him at another camp, but talking to people who sort of watched him throughout, just a ferocious competitor every time out. And I'm not saying Colin Gamble is not, nor nor can I say Colin Gamble is. Um, I just, I haven't seen him in those settings before where you can see like how hard he gets after it. Um, I just know that Sean Crawford did. And that, to me, that was the the break on the ball, um, the sort of Ability to be competitive, like when the ball's in there, all that was great. But I thought that Crawford's best attribute was his compete level, um, and I, I just don't have a read on yeah, Gamble that I, way. I
0: think I think Gamble's compete level is pretty high too. So we'll see what Nordine, we'll see what he thinks. We'll see what Nordame ultimately does. But I think if you're recruiting him as a nickel, I think that's a very good fit. Last thing in this segment, you, you, and you tweeted out the other day, I think it was Friday, and I could have sworn it was like you were dangling a carrot in front of my face. <laughs> to get me to react to 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 Jared, it was Friday. It was Jared Patterson being named to the uh, preseason Remington Award watch list, and he's never snapped a football <laughs> <laughs> in, in college. And that, look, we all—I mean, everybody's impressed by Jared Patterson. And I—I I swear, I was not going. This would have been – the last two years, on Thursday Thoughts, I've commented on the the preseason Remington Award and made fun of it, and I wasn't going to comment this year, and then they put Jared Patterson on oh, it and he's never Pulled never me snapped. right back in, Remington.
1: <laughs> I mean, the Remington Award list, I, I, I'm i assuming it's basically like a Google document that's shared by all sports information directors, well, that's why, and they just enter their names. That's
0: why I, I've i written in the past that it's like, okay, who are the returning starting setters? centers? Let's put them on the preseason list.
1: Let me, how about, I'll put it this way. What is makes more sense to you in the end, Jared Patterson on the Remington Award watch list or Jafar Armstrong and Tony Jones on the Doak Walker Award (laughs) watch list? (laughs) I mean, seriously. How big is the the list? But by by the end of the year, I you could, I think, make a pretty good argument that Jared Patterson will rank higher among centers nationally than Jafar and Tony will among running backs nationally. You're
0: you're probably correct because Patterson's a no doubt about it starter and Armstrong even if he's the lead guy is going to share they want to keep him healthy so he probably you know he won't get as many snaps obviously as Nordham's starting center uh it doesn't matter what's more ridiculous <laughs> than the other I
1: just find I you know I just it's a sure sign the offseason needs to come to an end It really, end. It really I get into the watch list talk. You
0: know that we're really, really close to the start of, of preseason practice when we start uh, when the Remington Award <laughs> watch list and many others come out. I'm not a big guy. on, uh, watch, I mean, just in general, it's about as meaningless as anything you can possibly do in the preseason. But uh, I tried, Pete. I tried yeah. to stay away from him, but I couldn't. We'll be back. Segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Segment two, Burning Up the Boards, brought to you by Rent Like a Champion, South Bend's largest vacation rental company with 1,000 weekend home rentals close to Notre Dame Stadium, available for Fighting Irish game game days. Irish Illustrated readers and listeners can get $100 off their booking with the promo code IRISH2019. Our first question comes from Irish Math. Does Michael Young have the speed to be a true deep threat? Opposing defenses must account for
1: some opposing defenses. You know, I, I you know, does Georgia have to account for Michael Young? I'd say probably not. Um, does Boston College? Probably. You know, I think that he's he's a player that is going to keep most defenses honest, um, but I'm not sure I would put him as somebody who's going to like. Give Clemson or Georgia or Alabama problems.
0: Yeah, he's not Will Fuller. Right, I mean, he's, he's that, speedy, but he's everybody not elite. had to account yeah. for Will Fuller. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think the main thing is be consistent, catch the football consistently, stay healthy, be a threat opposite Claypool and your your you know Cole Komet, your tight end. I don't know. I mean, he's an he's an interesting guy. His name's going to come up again for me anyway, and I on a question coming up here in a little bit, but Mike Young had a very good spring. Is he an elite burner? Probably not, but he's an upper echelon guy.
1: Wash N.D., what is more likely, Ian Book throwing for 3,500 yards or Jafar, running, or Jafar Armstrong getting 1,500 yards sla- receiving slash rushing? Yeah, that's my uh, edit <laughs> mistake there. Well, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um,
0: 3,500 yards, man, that's a lot that that's a lot with an offensive coordinator that likes to run the football. It's not last year, you know, it's not um you know, a really a, a young and inexperienced offensive line you want to take advantage of that more. Chip Longs a guy that likes the balance. Um then again, <laughs> Jafar Armstrong, you know, picturing him staying healthy all year. If he can stay healthy all year, yeah, I certainly think I mean, I think he's a two dozen catch guy. Um, yeah, I
1: mean, I think the answer is sort of like if the first one happens, the second one definitely will happen as well. Because if Ian Book throws for 3,500 yards, Jafar Armstrong is probably going to count for 500 will. of he them. He probably will. Um, you know, just for historical context, 3,500 yards passing at Notre Dame has happened twice. Brady Quinn's junior year and Jimmy Clausen's junior year. That, that's it. Um, wouldn't Would not shock me if Book hit 3,500, though. I just... I think his his accuracy and sort of the all fields throws that he can make, it, there's a there's a decent chance of that happening. Uh,
0: there was actually, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna pop down to another question here, Pete. It's at Jay Reedy at 56. You all seem very bullish on Ian Book to take a big leap this year. What are the reasons behind that, and what could tar- what targets for the season are realistic? Uh, a completion percentage, B yards, and C touchdowns. We've already addressed.
1: The yards, but I mean,
0: why are you bullish on Ian Book? I
1: <laughs> I mean, I so I spent some time with him on Friday for a couple of stories I was working on. One, he's he's pretty jacked up, like, he does not look like the kid that we were interviewing two years ago right. um, as a backup who you know played against LSU. He's he's definitely sort of hit a, a level of physical maturity. I also think that he spent his offseason like a professional football player would, uh, in terms of the work he put in. Uh, I thought the Manning Passing Academy stuff is really interesting. I talked to him about that. Um, and I mean, he came out of that, spent a lot of time with Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm, uh, KJ Costello, and he sees himself as peers to those players. Um, And if you feel like you are as good as everyone else in the country, then I think there's a pretty good chance with Chip Long returning experience, good group of receivers, good offensive line. An offense that's probably going to need to score a lot of points cuz the defense is not going to be as good as it was a year ago. Um that's statistically, I you know, his completion percentage may probably will be about the same, which was the best in Notre Dame history. Um but I think deep shot type stuff, uh, I talked to him about that. Um he felt like it's not it's not an arm strength issue as much as like his footwork, his base. Um, you know angles I was going to say maybe release release point, on yeah the deep getting ball. rid of the ball earlier, yeah. um you know, I did sort of a, a film review with him, and one of the one of the plays we talked about was the the Fink touchdown at USC last year, uh right at the end of the second quarter, mm-hmm. and as soon as I flipped that on, he's like i I should have thrown this earlier like the, the, I was way late on this throw, and if I'm as early as I should be, it's a very easy pitch and catch type throw. Um, so I, I think that you'll see him see the deep ball come open earlier because he's processing uh, things better. Mm-hmm. and when you when you see things more clearly, then I think your statistics will rise and that that doesn't have a damn thing to do with like throwing the ball harder. It's just being smarter with where the ball is going. Yeah,
0: completion percentage, I mean he's he's a I mean all things being equal, he's a seventy to seventy five percent guy. But I agree with you, he's gonna take more shots downfield but he's if he has those two healthy running backs those are going to be easier throws for him too so i don't know where that all ends up where it shakes out but we know he's a very accurate guy i had said last week 30 touchdowns and that's a big number i don't know if it goes quite that high certainly 25
1: i don't know where you where your thinking is on that i you know this would be a good over under bet but you know if you said Somewhere in between you, those I mean, two if numbers, I think. 28-and-a-half, I would be inclined yeah. to bet the over on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's going to have a really productive year throwing the ball. Uh, yards, completion, and touchdowns.
0: Yeah. Uh, last question on Ian Book from Denver Maximus. Big things are expected of Ian Book this fall. Is it safe to say as Book goes, so goes the season? How confident are you should an injury befall Book? Any idea how Djokovic and Clark are doing this offseason?
1: Not confident uh, would be the second answer, you know, whether – I don't know Phil Dracovic, Brendan Clark, where they are. You know, Phil Dracovic needs to mm. – he will be very closely watched at Culver and every other time we get to see him because uh, he really struggled in the blue-gold game. So it's that's a confidence issue, I think, as much as anything for him. Brendan Clark is a freshman. I would never be confident with a freshman coming into the game uh, unless it's Trevor Lawrence. And Brendan Clark is not Trevor Lawrence. So it's uh, – I mean, it's, it's tough, um, you know. If Ian Book goes down, so goes the season. Yeah. Um. You know, does Ian Book need to throw for thirty five hundred yards and three touchdowns? That's way to put it. Probably not. Yeah. Um. But if he does, I think that's a really good sign.
0: I you know I found it interesting. <clears throat> I don't think that I've used this quote from from Chip Long yet, but I asked him about Djokovic and uh and his mechanics and throwing and motion and what have you, and he said that they never asked him to change his throwing mechanics, and I said, really. <laughs> I I mean, I find that really interesting because he tightened them up in the spring. He was very he was much more over the top and compact. He didn't always look comfortable doing that. So it'd be very interesting to see exactly where they are uh, when camp opens in less than two weeks. But he just has to be more accurate. And I and I, you know, the whole thing with Chip Long is that. You know, it's a muscle memory thing. What you what you recruit when it comes to the throwing motion of a quarterback, not his feet. They they will work on his feet and adjusting the feet, as Ian Book addressed with you. But the actual throwing motion of the arm, they don't want to change it. So I'll be interested to see where he is with that. I've heard good things about Brendan Clark. He's a, he is a very tight, compact, over the top thrower. And so for him, you know, those 15 17 stop routes are are easy for him to hit. So that doesn't mean he he'll be in a better position than Jokovic should something happen to book, but uh he has thrown the ball pretty well this summer. SR
1: 5452, does the interior defensive line depth concern you guys?
0: Uh it was the the story that I referenced in segment 1 about defensive tackles and Clark Lee's comments about them. I mean, how many guys do you need? I we know the four. We, four healthy. You need four healthy.
1: Um, and healthy is the big.
0: Yeah, and I don't. You know, I don't expect Hunter Spears to be a, a contributor this year. But I mean, Jamie Franklin is is ready to go. Um, I'm sure he's spent a lot of time making up ground strength wise. Um, that's your third nose tackle, and then you know the reviews on Howard Cross continue to be very very good. So now we're looking at three three techniques and three. Nose tackles plus Hunter Spears. I, you know, I, I if there's some attrition there, I get that. And you don't, you don't. You, you, I mean, you're hoping to avoid the attrition with MTA and Heinisch and and, and Lacy and and Jason Adamiola. But you know, I just until something else happens there. Now, I think they're pretty well positioned moving forward. How do you feel about it?
1: I, I think it's a concern, um, and I think I I get Clark Lee's perspective that he's not concerned about it today. Um, but as as soon as someone tears an MCL, you know, and and it's 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 the nature of the position that's a concern, um not so much like the four guys, it's it's the assumption that somebody's gonna suffer a long term injury because someone always suffers a long term injury. And and who is it? If if it's Kurt Heinisch, then they're in trouble. Uh if it's MTA, then they're in trouble. Um and if it's Lacey or Jason Adamiola, like I think Jamie and Franklin could be a productive sort of rotational player in college. Um, beyond that, you're you're looking at freshmen. Um, but I, I mean, it just is I, I hear what you're saying. If but they're I mean, healthy throughout, they're good. And I think that's that's sort of the issue with Bonner. Like Bonner, I think is a bigger loss to the staff than he is to people who read oh, Bonner no in doubt. football. And it wasn't that like he was this incredible player. It was that he was the line where the guy after Bonner was Micah Doud Treadway. And that was a huge drop. And I think that the guys after... I mean, we'll see about Lacey. I I think he'll be good. But after that, I think there's a pretty significant drop to the next guy. Um, They just—they really need a good run of health at defensive tackle. And if they get one, then it's not a concern. If they don't, then it's a concern.
0: I'm really bullish on Howard Cross. He was a guy that I kind of stepped out on when he was a three-star and signed how much I loved him. So I've got something writing on that a little bit right <laughs> no. now, uh,
1: I mean, but, I Clark, but he, Clark's comment to you about like I like that he's short was interesting. Yeah, because um, there's kind chip of like on a his shoulder. yeah, a little bit more of a dogged attitude. So I mean that 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 kind of had me a little bit intrigued when he but said it, that in your story and the quote
0: about his... His lower arm looks like that of a bear. Yeah. That's also good. <laughs> which a lot of people yeah. kinda of kick out yeah. of and says a lot. And he's a long arm guy, which is huge for a deep for any offensive or defensive lineman. So we'll see. I mean, I think your your points are taken but uh are well taken, but you know, we'll we'll see moving forward. Right now they're in a pretty good situation. Uh at J.J. J. Allwine, if things go sideways, could this be the worst Notre Dame punter kicker combination since when? Should Ian Book be considered for the Ray Guy watch list based on number of expected pooch punts? I'm going to
1: defer to you because you you did I think more more in-depth <clears throat> research on kicker punter combinations. Well, I,
0: I did and and uh, I'd like to also refer to an O'Malley story, a recent O'Malley story about the trend where teams are going for fourth down more often. Notre Dame is one of those uh and they're in a situation now where yeah, absolutely if you if you don't have confidence in in your specialist that you're going to do that. The worst combination since. Um, <clears throat> the first guy that came to mind was Carl Joya. He was the kicker in 2006 when he was 8 of 13 on field goals and missed five extra points. But Jeff Price was the punter, and he had a 45.4-yard average. So I can't go to them. So I'd go to 2008. Brandon Walker was 14 of 24 on field goals, and Eric Most, who doubled as a baseball pitcher for, for the right. Notre Dame baseball team, Averaged forty point eight. I remember his hang time being good. He didn't have a whole bunch of leg, but I don't think they returned it uh, uh, much against him. So two, I think you'd have to go back to, to two thousand eight for that one. That's
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. You'll take that. I'll, t- I'll take that. I am also fascinated to watch extra points and punts this year in a way that's probably unhealthy.
0: <laughs> yeah, the fe- I mean, you know, like for example, Carl Carl Joya attempted only thirteen field goals in twenty in two thousand six. That was a pretty potent offense. They were pretty quick yeah. <laughs> at the controls. Um, so that, that had something to do with it. And, I, and you are in a somewhat similar situation, I would think, this year.
1: Next up, Stu Doggy Dog. Excluding last year's starters, please name three players that the coaching staff is most confident will make a positive impact to the team's success this year.
0: I would uh, – why don't we alternate if you want to – I would start with Owusu Koromo. Yeah, that's who I, I wanted try, to start yeah. with. <laughs> I, th- I think that's a guy that uh, – that, as confident as we, are. well, our confidence is steered by the confidence right. of the coaching staff in many instances, and and um, he would be first. Who else would you throw out there? Um, I, <clears throat> I mean, he's the he's the defensive guy. I think there's an obvious offensive one.
1: Um, yeah, it's, I mean, you mentioned Michael Young earlier. Yes, I think that's probably who it is because um, he's he will be a starter who was not a starter last year. Uh, And they they need a lot from that position. And also, I think he's going to benefit. Like, I I don't think people uh, realize how good Chris Fink actually is uh, and how much he was, like, the number one target on a lot of plays last year. Uh, That's just going to open up so much for Michael Young because Claypool and Fink, I think are are both going to be outstanding. So yeah, Michael Young would be the guy on offense.
0: We had um, in our, in our counting down the Irish, uh, Fink was number nine. So he's in, he's in the top 10. He's not underestimated uh, by us. Jared Patterson's obviously another guy that they have a tremendous amount of confidence in, Um, in talking with um, Clark Lee Jason Adamiola is a guy that he has a lot of confidence in. He thinks that that MTA-Adam Alola duo, if not as effective as Tillery, which would yeah. be difficult. I don't think you're going to get eight sacks from that spot. But against the run, um, they should be pretty good there. Those would be the guys that I, that I would throw out there. And then kind of a follow-up to that question from at Wilmus155, which unproven players... Do you think will emerge or surprise us here? Any predictions based on on gut or intel from the summer?
1: I think Iwusu Kormoa is is going to be the guy. I mean, you talk to people around the staff, on the staff, and they're they're just outright bullish about him. Um, and it it I think some of it has to do with like he's recruited for the position, and all that. But I think a lot of it has to do with like he's just athletically he's superior to a lot of other guys that they have um there's there's some unique unique dna at work there yeah. um, so that's that's my guy
0: yeah of course jacob lacey i mean he's in yeah. he, he was he was number 2 by default but i think he kind of earned the number 2 uh, during the spring jack lamb certainly is a guy that <clears throat> they're very high on and may end up being he's certainly going to be the guy on passing downs at, at buck linebacker and may end up being the, the full time starter depending upon what Jim Markeith can do. And then I'd go back to Howard Cross. I think that he's a guy that's that's impressed them.
1: Um, I'd love to hear a corner's name be mentioned in our conversations around the Goog, and I, I'm yet to really hear one, to be honest.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I guess Tariq Bracey would be the guy that you hope to hear right. that he's made the strides that he needs to, to make physically because athletically and just, you know, ball skills he has, though. So, we'll, I, you know... Hopefully for Notre Dame, that's something that we hear more uh,
1: in August. Mason Plumber six over under seven touchdowns for Chase Claypool this season. <clears throat> I think over.
0: I mean, you know, he's got Ian Book. If he has Ian Book with him all thirteen games, I think, I think he's a double digit guy. Uh, just by having Book, you know, you had Boykin with eight, and he didn't get Book
1: until game four, right? That yeah, was almost, um, and only had Book for nine of the. 13 right, right, total. So, right, and Clemson so Clemson doesn't count either. <laughs> I mean, I think,
0: yeah, I think Claypool. I don't know necessarily easily, but I think that he can be a double-digit
1: touchdown yeah, guy. Yeah, I, I would bet over on that. I think that that's that. I don't know what the over/under where you would create equal action on both sides, but you know, it might be nine and a half or ten and a half. Um, you know, seven just seems too low for a line. Um, but yeah, I, double digits is totally yep. within the realm yep. of possibility.
0: Uh, at Ryan Aronowski, who becomes a head coach first, Chip Long or Clark Lee? I
1: think it's definitely no. Um, I think it's definitely going to be Chip Long, which I may regret saying definitely. But teams want to hire offense. <laughs> Chip Long is offense, uh, and Notre Dame's offense is, I think, creative. And Chip Long also has a jump on Clark Lee in terms of how long he's been a coordinator. Yes. So those those would be the reasons. Yeah,
0: I I would agree. I mean, I think I think when Clark Lee gets to the point where he starts interviewing for head coaching jobs, I think he's going to be very very impressive. He's very he's a bit understated, very cerebral. I have no doubt that he will impress people in those interview situations, but I agree with you Chip Long. Has the jump and we live in an offensive world and if their offense is as effective as we expect it to be this year, he, he might yeah, be up. this he, might be it. This uh, this could uh, it could happen I'll at be, that point. I'm I'm really
1: curious to see what jobs he both these guys start to interview for. <laughs> um, and I think it's worth keeping in mind that if you're a coordinator who's looking to be a head coach, that let's just say Eastern Michigan came over, and we hear Clark Lee is interviewed for Eastern Michigan. From Clark Lee's perspective, I think that's more of a let's start the interview process for. Vanderbilt right, or Syracuse right, right. down the road, um, but I—I I guess I asked this, I'm curious, like, what level of job would make these guys move? Is it just a Power Five job, or would they move to a Group of Five position? And I'm not—I don't really know the answer to that. I—I I think I think Chip <clears throat> is Power Five.
0: I think it is too. But if he—but if, for example, the Memphis job opened up right. where he came from, I, I think that that would be one that that he might take. I think both are kind of in that mindset that. Okay, we're trending in the right in the right direction here. That we don't have to jump at that, you know. Some man, and some they of like those it. They, jo- they like it here. Yeah, right. Some of those Mac jobs are coach killers, man. I mean, yeah. yeah, it's just and they're and they're they're too high profile and trending up to to take a chance like that.
1: TDISU nineteen, taking into consideration both coaching and recruiting ability, <laughs> rank the assistant coaches on the staff from most valuable to most easily replaceable.
0: I think. I, I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant to go what to list seven, <laughs> eight, nine, ten because I think that I think that's un, I think that's unfair. I I, I think give me your top five coaches. How I, okay, about that? top yeah, top five. Both coordinators in Elston certainly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I would say Terry Joseph. And I think Lance Taylor will eventually be up there, but you know we don't have a point of reference mm-hmm. yet. So I would include you know Brian Pollins is mean is a dynamic recruiter but i would include Jeff Quinn in that in the mm. top 5.
1: Yeah, i think i would go i would go Chip Long one cuz i think what he's doing is innovative like <clears throat> schematically that's that's rare. I think it's hard to find a guy that's like ahead of the curve a little bit. Uh, Clark Lee 2 really good fit. I would I would actually I think I would go Joseph 3. Really? Um because I I just think that secondary play is so much more complicated than defensive line play and
0: Boy, I but think, he doesn't make it complicated. He finds a way to uncomplicate it. That's
1: that's, that's a right, real skill, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Know? And then I'd go Elston 4. Uh, I think he does a, a lot. I mean, he's a good position coach, but I think sort of a good number 2 for for Brian Kelly as well. You know, the the fifth spot, I mean, really you're down to who are who are the real candidates here? Quinn, Polian, Taylor, Taylor, Reese, Alexander, Light. I think you you could make an argument for Reese. I don't think that I would yet, um, but I but I think so. I mean, really, I think it's a Polian or Quinn question, right? I,
0: Unless it's Taylor, but again, I don't think that we can yeah. we can't include him right. right now. I mean,
1: I think I would. You know, th- polling is Pauline is my answer because it's a, a question <laughs> about replaceability, and I think having a guy who actually understands what Notre Dame is about and appreciates That's it, That's and like point. and kind of yeah. defends it in recruiting discussions, um, is important. Not that Jeff Quinn is like a bad coach or a bad recruiter, because I think he's he's a, yeah. a good coach and a, a, a better than good recruiter. I, I can't include in the top five because his
0: special teams are too inconsistent yeah that's fine I understand yeah I understand uh, I think I think Dal Alexander is very underrated as a position coach yeah, I agree with that um chip long swears by him to hear chip long talk about what Alexander brings to the equation um you they, know I they, would put him at the top of that second
1: pack I, mean, I think he, Alexander is sort of like the guy we know least on the staff right
0: true yeah I mean he's He's affable. I mean, he's right. a guy. He's, he's like he's a nice guy. A, yeah, he's, I he's, mean, I know him a little bit. Yeah.
1: But, you know, it's like when we have a question about the passing game, we ask the offensive coordinator, not the receivers <clears> coach. <throat> no doubt. No doubt.
0: Uh, last question is from at Dylan Ellie underscore. This year, Norton plays seven teams coming off idle weeks. And I am like I said I'm working on the, the first-rate schedule uh, this week. Is this a more... Is this more difficult to navigate than the crisscross country tour of 2018?
1: I would say it's less <coughs> difficult to navigate. Um I think that the bye weeks, it's everyone needs to remember it's a double bye week season. So you're probably gonna have twice as many teams coming off a bye week before they play you, because you also have two bye weeks.
0: Seven's awfully
1: extreme. Seven is high. Um, but this was always gonna be at least a five year. Um, I think the fact that the ACC pretty much has said like everyone gets a bye week before Notre Dame, our partial member, is you know a bit hilarious.
0: That, I I mean it's it's I don't know if it's totally fair, but I mean it's fair that, that you don't. I mean Notre Dame's not all in the ACC, so no,
1: the ACC has no <laughs> no business protecting Notre Dame from anything. You know Notre Dame is there as a partial member, and they can make their schedule the way. Like, doesn't everyone want a bye week before their toughest game? I mean, Notre Dame has a bye week before Michigan, and they have essentially a bye week before right. Georgia. But they play New Mexico. Play New Mexico. Yeah, Notre Dame is a lot of team's toughest game. So you'd want to, if you can work it. So hey, we want a bye week before our toughest game. Our toughest game is Notre Dame. I think for the most part, the ACC is going to be like, sure, no problem, we'll give that to you. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult, but the the fact that Notre Dame went from San Diego to Chicago, home, New York, L.A. That, to me, that is way harder than Boston College as a bye week.
0: I agree. Now, one of the the, what compounds the the bye week situation this year is you have you play for all the first four teams you play in November are all coming off their bye week. Mm -hmm. And at that stage, that can be a little bit more significant. You talk, Pete, about. Notre Dame being the most – that's the most difficult game on that team's schedule. Well, Virginia Tech plays only one team that won as many as nine games last year, and that's Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Virginia only plays – plays only one team with as many as nine wins last year, and that's Notre Dame. Right. So I'm kind of looking at – I mean, it's difficult as – now, Notre Dame plays three teams that won at least nine games last year at Georgia,
1: at Michigan, at Stanford. And they have essentially a bye week before two of them, if we count if we count they New do. Mexico as a bye week. This
0: is something we've talked about. Somebody asked, would you rearrange, remember a couple of weeks ago, would you rearrange the order of the schedule, or how would you rearrange it? We wouldn't.
1: No, it's, it's, it, it's, it's in terms of the pacing of it, right. it's perfect. It, it,
0: it breaks down pretty well. It's just that those three games, those three very, very difficult games, uh, where Notre Dame has, I mean, they've struggled at Michigan. They've certainly struggled at Stanford.
1: And Georgia hasn't lost a home game in the last two years. And I mean, it's worth r- reminding people what does Michigan have when Notre Dame's on a bye week? They're at Penn State. They are. So that's
0: tough for that. Stanford, that balances it out with for that. Stanford game.
1: has Cal <clears throat> before Notre Dame, as it always does. I mean, that's that's a significant <clears throat> game for those two schools. So it's, um, I think, Notre Dame's toughest games. That's a much more level playing field for the, the bye weeks. Yeah.
0: We're going to wrap it up there. I I kind of want to tease a story that's going to come in the middle of this week, and I'm just going to leave it at that. It's going to be a story with a name from Notre Dame's past that you might find interesting. I expect it to hit on Wednesday. Uh, We'll see how you feel about it. We'll be back next week on Monday, <laughs> July 29th for the next edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us.
1: It's time to start planning your trip to Notre Dame. Rent Like a Champion is South Bend's largest vacation rental company with over 1,000 weekend home rentals available close to Notre Dame Stadium. Head to rentlikeachampion.com illustrated to get $100 off your booking when you use the promo code Irish2019. That's rentlikeachampion.com illustrated promo code Irish2019.